I keep using the mouse because I see the mouse, but the mouse is connected to my other laptop, so that's not smart. Welcome to episode 10 of Expanding Beyond. We finally managed to make it to double digits. Uh, sorry for taking so long. Um, it's been uh, double the, it's been four weeks now instead of two. Uh, it's just, there was too much going on. My wife was on holiday and I was home with the kids and it was just too much to, to handle at the same time. So sorry for being late, but at least we are now back basically. How are you doing, Monica, today? I'm doing good. I'm doing I'm doing good, actually. Yeah. I did some shopping and I, I have a new old bike. Well, I mean by old I mean used. Um I have a new used bike and it's <laughs> it's uh it's pretty cool to be able to be independent without taking a car. I like to drive. Um I'm not scared on anything i mean i come from italy what can scare me here <laughs> nothing um <Yeah>. but <laughs> um but just the bike is so much better so there's that we nice. made to double digit that's pretty awesome now that i think of it when you mm -hmm. sent me the the draft uh, today i really didn't realize when i saw the title i was like oh episode 10 okay and then you were like double digit mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the next one will be harder, right? Getting to episode 100. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hope that your life got a little bit quieter now. <laughs> yes, it did. So uh, the kids are still at school, although they are, there's already noise and they're already mm. having assigned documents and planning stuff on how to maybe this time should they have to send everyone home do it better there's some video conference conferencing software and stuff like that let's see if that if that works yeah. if it then happens i mean it seems likely that it might given how the numbers are yes on the rise again finger crossed i mean for me it doesn't change too much i'm home with a cat so eh, not a problem yeah, that's not the definition of problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for now they are in school and that's that's going well. Everyone seems to enjoy it. And yeah, and I'm back and I'm back at work and I'm I mean, I'm doing one of the things I enjoy doing and I advocate for a lot, which mm -hmm. is writing tests. But sometimes even I, I can't write all the tests all the time. All the things. <laughs> because, so let me set this up. So I've been writing tests this whole week. Uh, we have this small JavaScript app that our customers can embed into their websites, which is then basically lets them. So we are in the business of letting people reserve spots when they will get a call back from a call center. And they can also do that. The companies can also put that on their website via our code. And that's a small JavaScript app that had until some months ago, zero tests. And then I slowly started adding them. And now we're at the state where we want to make changes. And it's just a, there are no tests. So it's, I've, I'm really scared to actually mm. make changes and b the original developer has left and there's no one really understood them. So we, I'm, I made some changes. Then another developer made some changes on top of that. And then we realized this is 
totally going against the design of that application and it's just making huge problems and we we are basically stuck now and the only thing we can do now is to first write the tests and then refactor the mess that we created (laughs) i was about to say that sounds like it calls for maybe not even a refactor like a gradual substitution of the current implementation with a possibly a new one that is tested yeah yeah so what i've been doing now is write tests around the existing application Mm-hmm. the existing code. I mean, the tooling there in JavaScript isn't bad. I mean, the main obstacle is, of course, if you have code that has never been tested, then it's in written in a way that is just super hard to test. Yes. And here, the other thing is, because we're embedding our JavaScript into a different website, we have to jump through various hoops to get this all to work, right? It need to, needs to talk to our API but we don't want to sort of open up the API completely. So we have an iframe, iframe number one, which is basically um, running on a server that is controlled by us. Mm -hmm. So you're then on a different domain and there you can make some uh, networking calls to our uh, API backend. Mm -hmm. And then you start sending messages from the iframe to the actual website. So there's this message passing pattern you can have in JavaScript between the uh, normal uh, document and any iframe that's in there. Gotcha. But of course, then the widget that we are showing, we also putting that into an iframe because a customer embeds this and then their styles and our styles. They don't play along. They don't play along. And then the customer comes back to us and say, hey, why doesn't this work for us? And our customers, they're not good at the technical website stuff. Mm. So we would have to fix it all. So it's just easier to have yet another iframe for that. So now we have at least two iframes. At some points in certain setups, there's a third iframe and the main page that all need to communicate. And then you have to test that, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds easy. Yeah. Slash S for the Redditors out there. Yeah. So I've been playing around with that. I just started somewhere and started testing bits. Yeah, I mean, eventually the proper, I, the correct way to probably test this is just to basically mock the API backend mm-hmm. and run this in a real browser or in a headless browser okay. so that you have all this uh, working, right? You have all the iframes and they, this communication between those, this message passing, this actually works. Uh, right now, I'm not doing that. I'm running it with a package called uh, JSDOM which is basically a re-implementation of the DOM. And there this iframe stuff and iframes loading more code from the server doesn't really work. So I'm there's holes in my testing, mm. but at least it's better than what we had before. That was no testing. That was basically <laughs> no testing, yeah. <laughs> I find particularly interesting what you said uh, about the code has not been written to be tested. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, the, that's a very good angle for this topic. Connecting that back to what I said about TDD being a design tool more than a testing tool. 
it goes in the same direction. Like if you look at all the principles for code design, for application design, it's like, oh, the classes have to be small. They have to be clear interfaces. They have to uh, have a public and a private one. You want to have dependence injection uh, and, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing you and I say, nope, 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 no, nope, no, none no. of them. <laughs> um, I find it interesting because I've been having this conversation, as I, as I said in the past, uh, I'm now managing also uh, engineers from different backgrounds uh, so that are knowledgeable on different stacks. And talking with some of them, uh, one of them told me in our one-on-one that it was interesting for him to get a pull request being reviewed by people that were not in his team because he was exposed to different approaches. And uh, one of the things like, oh, in certain teams, it looks like they are really deep into this best practices and kind of like over-engineering sometimes. This thing about, you know, having small classes and then you have to jump through so many, so many classes to get to where you want to be instead of having one big class and that's it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, so, uh, and I'm also a bit exaggerating, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but it is true, of course. I mean, there's trade-offs everywhere, yeah. right? Now I'm realizing that is probably one of the reasons why in this particular technology, especially on the clients, let's say, we are having less coverage than in the backend. Of course, Rails and Ruby are because of the community, because of the foundational principles that uh, that are behind the language and the framework itself uh, themselves It's just the ecosystem allows you to have so many tools that you can use. And very often you don't have to deal with very complicated interfaces uh, that do crazy things based on the user. So I can understand why fundamentally it's easier to test in in our circumstances and by our, I mean, backend engineers. But then it also tells me something about it might be easier to test on the clients also, if there was this kind of approach. It's like, it's a a vicious circle, it sounds to me. Because of course, it's so much easier to write, you know, your bunch of code and it's working. It's working. Maybe you're Mm -hmm. not gonna touch it again for a while, but the prospect is always the same. You're not writing for you now. You're writing for yourself in the future. You're writing for someone else that can be yourself in the future, but it can be also someone else. Yeah, I mean, with this with this code base, it's understandable, I think, because I mean, the company still isn't old and there was a lot of experimentation going on on that side. So if you're a startup and you're not even sure if how many people are going to use this, then yes, I'm it might be okay to not test at all or not test much. I don't know. I don't work (laughs) at early stage startups. But of course, then you have to know that you're just moving that back and then you Mm -hmm. have all the effort afterwards. Yeah, it's a bet. It's an investment that you are doing. Uh, Mm. And if it's a conscious decision, all for it. It's like you don't need to to have best practices implemented from day one because they also come with a cost, as you were saying. Yeah. So and for JavaScript in general, maybe this is just a cultural thing, mm-hmm. because in the days of where jQuery was the thing, I don't know how you could have written proper tests for that stuff. I mean, these days, 
it's all pretty different. You have yeah. all those uh, frameworks, like something like React, which, for example, makes it pretty easy to cut up your application into smaller components mm -hmm. and smaller bits. And then you can test those, which I think these days it's just very easy to do. I mean, of course, you always have the stuff with how does it look, the design. Yes. Maybe that is not easily testable, but the whole functionality, I think that can be tested easily. That's like a very that. good point. We come from the Ruby community, which is just testing is the thing, right? Yeah. And there's other communities where it isn't as deeply ingrained and there's other things that they are doing that that's, that's their thing. So Typing for once. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get there. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe someday we will actually yeah. use it. Eh, I don't know. I find it somewhat redundant in the sense of like, if I want to type language, I'm going to get a type language. That's true. You only get the real advantage when everything is typed, right? Exactly. So pick your poison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now that I have tested a big portion of it, I'm, I managed to get the coverage up to 70%. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a small, uh, not a big project, so that's not Yeah, I was about too... to say 70. It's a pretty big number. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I must say I'm cheating a bit because I'm excluding part of it mm. because we're going to throw that out anyway. So okay. there's no... Need then, to test fair it. enough. I mean, it is still in use, but the current plan is to get rid of it. Okay. I'm currently trying to document what I've learned from, from writing all those tests. And while doing that, I'm looking at the code yet again. And then I joked in our company Slack that 80% of my documentation is actually refactoring of the code. <laughs> <laughs> because there's just stuff that is... Some some of it is easy to refactor and some is just, wow, this is a big file and someone is trying to basically hand roll classes with a JavaScript function and some mm. variables, which is just weird. Which is just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, I know where this is coming from, right? We start with a small thing and then you add something here and here and then yeah, suddenly. Classic. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the sign of success, you know, you grow. Yeah, I mean, that, that is sort of the, that's always the, the thing you have to keep in mind. If, it, if, it, if you weren't successful, you wouldn't have problems like that. Or like the other thing we have where our servers sometimes aren't performing as well as mm -hmm. they should. That's also only happening because we have more traffic. So in a sense, it's good, but it's also annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Plan for success. So that only leaves one uh, bigger JavaScript app that's not really tested. Okay. <laughs> I'm not touching that at this point <laughs> because we're not doing a, so drastic changes there. Okay. And we can leave that for a bit. Maybe at some point I'll just get, get antsy and I'll just, I don't know, ninja code some tests at the side or yeah. something like that. There might be dragons <laughs> or maybe not. Have you like... Uh, have you already taken a look at the at the code base? Um, yes. Um, the developer that wrote this was very much in favor of not using pre-built libraries, but instead re-implementing just the bits that he needs right now. Mm. Which is just... I mean, it, if it, it works for the actual setup, yeah. but as soon as you want to change anything and do something else... It just gets super hard. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, custom code is is custom. Again, it comes with a cost. I mean, there's a good side to this. Like you only have the things that you really need. So the application is to some extent smaller. Uh, you only introduce dependencies because in the end, libraries are dependencies. Uh, you only mm -hmm. introduce dependencies that you really need. So there's that. But again, it's uh, like trying to fight against rails. It's not gonna end up well. <laughs> yeah. Did you find any striking differences between the tooling that you have on JavaScript and the tooling that it's available for uh, Rails or Ruby? I mean, I have the feeling that the tests run faster, but that might just be because there's no database you need to. <laughs> yeah, to it might be. <laughs> And then there's some some weird things like it's actually pretty hard to just run one single test hmm. for some reason. And of course, the the issue with uh, JavaScript is always that there's so much stuff going on asynchronously. I mean, you do an action and then you have to wait for for a certain amount before all the callbacks have happened, before you can even write your assertion that something on the on the virtual DOM has happened, right? Hmm. So that takes a bit of adjustment and sometimes it's not pretty but sometimes you have to put in a sleep somewhere yes. in your test which is not so nice yeah usually that happens when you have to deal with interfaces like human interfaces yeah but other than that i mean i think in the recent years this has gotten a lot better and there's there's now really great tools for testing all that stuff i think that probably maybe i'm speaking because i'm partial to the topic but Probably that will be the biggest legacy of Rails and Ruby. How they made possible for people to really accept and feel comfortable that testing is part of writing code and can be easy and pleasant. It doesn't have to be tiresome, long, expensive. I'm running some... Um, some tests on the applications we have because I'm helping a colleague so we're kind of having this cultural exchange between iOS and backend. Mm -hmm. uh, and I helped him installing the apps, one of the apps that we have. Uh, so I was running the test and then I was looking at the results from RSpec and uh, I was like, oh, the, the slowest test is uh, 3.05 seconds or something. I was like, hmm, that's slow. And it was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that's slow. <laughs> It's a very slow test. Three seconds? Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> For something that doesn't have an interface, I'm like that's crazy slow. Even with the database. Yeah. So, yeah. I just like tests so much. Anyways. These days, I wouldn't even know how to write code without tests. Mm. Even for my side products, I'm now currently adding more tests because I feel a bit uneasy. <laughs> Yeah, and now I feel guilty. It's, it's like me today eating a full box of Italian cookies and I was like, I shouldn't do this. It's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Tasting so wrong. <laughs> yeah, I still have uh, have a, a bar of chocolate in the fridge for later. So oh. I'll join the club then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm, but it's so good. It's my favorite brand. Shall we make the brand yeah. noticeable? <laughs> yes, of course. It's a Swedish chocolate called Marabou. Because mm -hmm. they they sort of they caramelize the sugar a bit. So oh, it's a, Lord. It's, it's a 
bit different taste than other chocolate and it's really really good that's beautiful poetic just hearing about it <laughs> <laughs> this one is, is with uh, salted almond which is even better Ooh. because chocolate with almonds is super hard to get in germany unfortunately I mean, the good one. That's true. It's just too cold for almond trees to grow. I guess that's that's it. Yeah. But you have almonds everywhere. Come on. Yeah, I don't know. It's like there's those packages everywhere of nuts and walnuts and cashew nuts and you name it. Studentenfutter. Studentenfutter. <laughs> that's, if you get the good brand, that can be seriously also dangerous. Uh, yeah, we have some here as well. Goes It goes well with the whiskey, of course. I never tried it that smart. That, that makes <laughs> well, a lot of... I, I now have this this uh, association when I drink a whiskey. I almost always have to have some, some of that stuff, okay. which is kind of also bad. <laughs> For, so I don't buy any hard liquor. I buy mostly wine and I have some more hard spirit than wine. But I don't drink alone. So I usually drink when I'm with friends because it's a convivial thing for me. So I never really got into whiskey until I visited this friend of mine. So next time I go there, beside the pulled pork that he did for mm -hmm. then Oh, yeah. And then we had the whiskey tasting. Next time, student and photo. <laughs> and pizza, of course. Um, yes. That's for before. That's what in uh, among my friends we were calling the foundation before going out on Saturdays and drinking sprees. Mm -hmm. Back in the days, uh, we would call that the foundation. Well, that any kind of carbs really. <laughs> like, that's the yeah. foundation for the evening. <laughs> yes, of course. Speaking about foundation. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice segue right <laughs> so now i can't even uh, cut out the whole segment right no <laughs> no you can how do we start in the next one um the second thing we are currently working on here at this company is our uh, service setup so mm -hmm. most of our smaller applications uh thankfully are running on heroku so we don't ha really have to deal with all the yeah, nice. servers and the maintenance. Although Heroku is a US company and then there's some customers which really, mm. really don't like that. So we might have to eventually even move away from AWS. Really? Which is kind of crazy. I don't know. There's, it's, not, it's not really fixed or planned. Mm -hmm. or, but there are some some customers that are a bit uneasy. So we have, we actually have, so for our core system, we actually have two. Okay. <laughs> two copies, which is, <clears throat> yeah, uh, that's that's something yeah, that no one really make, yeah. enjoys. So one is running on AWS, mm -hmm. so here in Germany. And the other one is running on the Deutsche Telekom cloud, which is basically AWS for I don't know. It, it it looks so similar. I wonder if this is just rebranded stuff. It's really weird. Hmm. Um, I mean, it could be that it's. I don't know if if you if you if you open the AWS website, log in and mm -hmm. op open that website and log in. Should you manage because their login is really broken? <laughs> okay. Which <laughs> is it just amazing? Um, it looks so similar that I really wonder hmm. if it 
if it isn't. Plus, I think the OS that they offer is from is a Chinese Linux, <laughs> which is kind of kind of beats the point of having a completely German solution. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but anyway, so we have this uh, collection of shell scripts and um, stuff like that to set up our servers, which is already nice because it's not like you have one machine that you need to configure. Mm-hmm. And if it goes down, then you have a problem. However, we still have that problem because A, we don't even have a load balancer in front of our one web machine. Mm-hmm. And B, those scripts, they are not as easy to uh, reuse, to spin up multiple instances. And that has really bitten us in the bum in the last weeks and months, a few times. And now we really need to invest the time to make those easy to use and go to more of a, we're, we're not really moving to Docker containers, but we are still moving more towards sort of this um, immutable setups where you, if you do a change, you basically run the scripts with the changes and spin up a new instance and then switch over. That's sort of the idea. Okay. And then hopefully we can have, have actually more than one machine running. Finger crossed. Core, core business. <laughs> I mean, this is again the same thing, right? It's a good problem to have because this means that we are successful enough that there's enough traffic that this becomes problematic. Mm. Yes, it's annoying, but on the other hand, it's also also good to have that problem. The other the other option would be even worse, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, again, comes a point where doing things manually just doesn't cut. And that's the whole the the old adage about you know scalability and stuff. Very often people think about scalability regarding systems, but scaling your ability, scaling your team, scaling your people is the same. Uh, it's actually yeah. sometimes even more important. Yeah, I mean, sort of that it would be possible to add more machine and mm-hmm. stuff, but there's exactly one person who currently exactly. is knows how to do that. And that is the problem, especially as he uh, lives in the US. So during yes. our busiest times, which is like Monday morning, he's like, mm. <laughs> he's of course asleep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that doesn't work. Also. And then we try things, but we're not entirely mm. sure. So yeah, it needs to be, be simpler and easier to use for everyone so that we can react quicker. Yeah. I'm, I'm jumping a little bit, but it makes sense after, once I've, once I've finished saying, uh, telling this story these days. I think it's a news from yesterday or two days ago. It became public knowledge uh, that very likely the Italian version of the uh, CoronaVam app, so the the application for tracking people, uh, mm-hmm. positive people to coronavirus in Italy, it might not have really been useful because it seems that so the sanitary workers that are supposed to do the tracking of people. So getting all the positive results and fill in the data, uh, feed the data into the system, they are just not enough for the numbers that are coming. Uh, okay. Because So they have to do that. Yeah, I mean, of course the app is doing it alone, let's say, but if they get some uh, positive cases, they like the tracing, the, uh, the tracing part of the um, 
TTT, let's say, it's uh, uh, it's most of it is still done manually because not everybody has the app. Therefore, the contact tracing is still done by humans, and the humans just can't keep with the amount of requests that are coming from the system mm -hmm. in the human system around them because schools have reopened offices have uh, have reopened now people spend more time on public transport they spend more time inside uh, and that's where i was thinking i was like it cuts to have humans do the job until a certain time i know i'm just saying that water is wet uh, nothing fancy but <laughs> you know uh, it's yet another evidence let's say that that is indeed the case So yeah, I never had the chance to uh, to do that myself or to be involved in such an initiative. Like who is taking care of it? Uh, how do you plan to do it? Basically the developer slash 50% DevOps person <laughs> that does the, um, our server setups, uh, he's basically in charge of restructuring the stuff and making it easier to use and doing some of the more dangerous things like adding a load balancer in and thinking about how to use that because he is still the one who knows AWS yeah. and stuff like the rest. So he's doing the coding, but he's not doing the actual setup, running the commands, right? Okay. Another developer from our side is then, they're basically pair setting this up so that a second person already has run this and can give feedback on what's uh, easy to understand and what is still hard to do. Yeah, I was about to ask about that. And I'm just, I'm just there and I complain about this being hard <laughs> because I don't really, I don't, I'm not deep enough mm. into this topic to really understand all the things. I just know that it, that's just not scalable in this way. And I just, I would like to, if the next time we have an issue to not randomly do stuff, but have an easier way to do things so that I can actually do stuff. And that just try something random and then hope it helps or or maybe it doesn't. I see why they picked you in the past to be a technical leader and an engineer manager. <laughs> the point is like, I am not so deep into this. It's just wrong. <laughs> I, I know enough <laughs> to know that that's not the way to do it. Um, that's the feedback I'm giving. I'm telling you, fix mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. Then they do the thing. Yeah, but that's a good idea to have two people doing that yeah that was a great idea yeah yeah and then there's there aren't that many more people in the team anyway so that's that's a big portion of the team already covered yeah. so, because we're still fairly small and then hopefully i can also at least understand this new stuff far enough that i can do do things then that should be nice yeah that's the nice part about uh, belonging to a smaller company a smaller team you can be a generalist so the famous t-shaped expert comes easier if you work if you have to if you live let's say it's even better if you live in a certain environment because uh, it's that's what the environment is expecting from you like everybody knows a little bit of everything uh, so there's people with a deeper specialization into something and uh but almost everyone knows a little bit of everything because when people get sick or are on holiday then you just have to know at least enough uh, to get the stuff up and running again yes. i think that that's what to me makes small companies more interesting because it's my personal preference uh, it's 
like this this thing about having to uh, dab with so many topics and knowing a little bit of everything. I always like that, uh, even in with other topics, not necessarily technology or programming. So I think it's just something that it's ingrained within me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of lot more opportunities mm -hmm. to learn new things then. Yeah, you can learn so many things everywhere. All right. So on that high note, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can end this show. It's already uh, long enough, I guess. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you on the internet, Monica? People cannot find me lately on Twitter at KFMolly. Uh, yeah, I noticed our our listener stats are going really, really down <laughs> because you're not posting stuff. I should I should log <laughs> in just for that. Uh, yeah. I'm on a I'm on a sabbatical, let's say so. Uh, I noticed that I was spending far too much time uh, and it wasn't doing me any favor. Uh, looking too much and getting to wind it up about everything that happens. Uh, yeah. Let's see after November what happens. Um, so <laughs> yeah. they cannot find me on Twitter at KFMolly. Uh, they can find me on uh, DevTube. Uh, at, uh, you can just look for Nearnight. Same for GitHub. Uh, still me. Or you can find me at our email address. Hosts at expandingbeyond.it You can find me on Twitter sometimes, but also not very often these days as UJH, same as on GitHub. I do have a blog at urbanhafner.com, but like you enjoy saying the content is in, in my head, basically. <laughs> it, it's somewhere. At least it's there. <laughs> I mean, we're making a podcast. That, that yes. should be good enough. All right. Um, That was fun. We should do it again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this time not uh, in, in, in another four weeks, but maybe we can. We started so do good. It in two weeks. Yeah. And then we got scared of the double digits. Yeah. Yes. So, people, thank you so much for listening to us um, for <laughs> two hour ramblings. Uh, <laughs> it's always great fun. We're waiting from your for your feedback. And for your questions, if you want us to speak about something in particular, for example, if you want our opinion on something, uh, we are open. I, I really like to talk and give my opinion on stuff. So otherwise I wouldn't be here. Uh, so please, please, please write to us. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.